So, for some of you that may not have heard and have asked me this morning, what happened? I had a shoulder surgery on Tuesday, and uh, I had this one done eight years ago. And uh, this one last Tuesday, and they did a bicep tenodesis, which basically means they pull your bicep up and restitch it on top, and then also three tears around my rotator cuff that they uh, did some work on. I'm not really sure what all they did. They showed me pictures that they don't really mean anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> but they're cool looking. <laughs> but at uh, any rate, so it's a little sore, but we'll, we'll get through it. I actually slept through the night last night, which is a good thing, on my recliner. You forget how simple things we forget. Like, you normally, like, if I'm going to sit down, I usually sit in the left corner. Well, the left corner has the arm. Well, you can't use your left arm to put on the arm of the couch to get up. And when you sit on the opposite side, you're sitting there trying to push down on a cushion that doesn't go anywhere but down. So in your mind you start thinking about things that you can invent to help it better for next time. But you don't want to really want it next time. <laughs> so it's been, it's been pretty good. At any rate, this morning, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. Uh, for several months I've been thinking about going into the book of Romans, and uh, I don't know that I'll do the whole thing verse by verse, but we are going to take some key passages as we go through the book of Romans. And uh, so this morning, I just want to kind of give an introduction to the book of Romans and uh, basically see several things about it that maybe, maybe you've heard before, or maybe you haven't heard, but we're going to kind of lay a little bit of a foundation. But, you know, when Paul did not start the church at Rome, nor were the congregants of the church at Rome all that familiar with him when he wrote this epistle to them. But his words to them were very poignant and timely. And it's amazing that even today, hundreds of years later, how applicable and practical the book of Romans is to where we are living in this day and age. And so uh, as we get into this epistle, we're going to see at least three things today. First, we'll see who Paul was or who he is as he is presenting himself to the church at Rome. Uh, secondly, we'll see Paul's interest in the church of Rome and why he was writing to them. And third, we'll see the theme of the book of Romans as we get into it. So this morning as we get started, I'd like for us just to read the first part of the Romans chapter 1. And then we'll look at the rest of it as we work our way through Romans chapter 1 as far as an introduction of what we're getting into today and the upcoming weeks. So if you would follow along as I begin reading in Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. It says, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through the prophets in his holy scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of Holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom we also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts through your word. I ask, God, that you would challenge us in the areas, Lord, that we need to be challenged. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd even bring conviction where we need to, where we need conviction, Father. I ask God that, uh, Lord, as we think about being here in your house this morning, Lord, around the world today, people are, have already begun to gather, some have already gathered, some are gathering right now. But Lord, I just pray that wherever the word of God goes forth in this day, Lord, that your will will be accomplished through the preaching of your word. Lord, we pray that the word of God would not be returned void, and Lord, that we would apply it to our hearts and our lives, so Lord, that we may be more like you, and Lord, be more conformed to your image. Pray that you speak to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we get into it, Paul's, first of all, the address to the church of Rome. 
And as we look at Paul, as he's addressing the church of Rome, he really comes out and you can ask three questions as we look at these first couple of verses. First of all, who is Paul? Um, and then we're going to ask, what is the gospel? And how does Paul greet this church concerning the things that he wants to share with them? But first of all, who is Paul? And we see that right away in verse 1. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. The first thing you want to see there is the word servant. Paul's reputation was that he was a servant. And literally, in this particular word, it's the word doulos, which literally means slave. Paul said he was a slave of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to think that when someone is a slave, they have no rights of their own. They are basically under the, the, the direction of the one who owns them. If we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, guess what? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we have been bought with the blood. Therefore, we are what? Purchased. We are owned by Jesus Christ. And therefore, as a slave of Jesus Christ, likewise with Paul, we have no will of our own. Paul said, I am a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. And this word servant literally means doulos. Um, Paul believed that he was owned or belonged to by Jesus Christ. Secondly, we see from the text there in verse 1, called to be an apostle. Now this is an interesting phrase because in our area, there are several people who claim to be a modern day apostle. And uh, I don't particularly agree with that position as God's word really reveals that those who are apostles were called and commissioned by Jesus Christ to do that particular task. So Paul did not choose this title on his own. God called him to it. And I still believe that the calling of this position is a calling of God. It's not a career choice. It's not something to be chosen lightly. Uh, the, word the, the word apostle literally means official representative or commissioned messenger. Now think about that. Paul was not only a official representative, as are we who know Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ says you are his ambassadors, right? According to Corinthians. So the reality is we are all ambassadors. We hold a official capacity as messengers of Jesus Christ, though we are not a title, that we are not uh, apostles, we are disciples of Christ. And so this a title of apostle carries weight of divine authority. Now, it's interesting that there are a lot of people who want the authority, but they don't want to do be the servant. And the interesting thing about that is this. In a, being a servant, you are a slave to somebody. You are owned by somebody. You are commissioned by somebody. They don't get to choose what they do. In leadership, we don't always get to choose what they want to do. We are following what God asks us to do, most importantly. And it is a, it is a task of weight. It has weightiness. It has authority with it. That's not to be taken lightly. But not only that, Paul was not only a servant, a slave, he was not only an apostle, but he was also a preacher of the gospel. Paul, we see that again right away in verses 1 and 2. Uh, verse 1, separated to the gospel of God. The word separated means he was called. He was separated unto. He was consecrated by God to do the work that he was called to do. But here's a question I ask myself, and as I do this often, as I do each and every other week that we preach, I'm one that asks questions as I go through it. Questions of application, questions of practicality, how this relates to who I am as a child of Jesus Christ. But the reality is, here's a question I ask myself. Not only who is Paul, but who are we? Who are we when we look at our life and compare to what Jesus Christ has done for us? Who are we? Well... Has God done a work in our lives? Has He changed our lives? 
He's given us a task. He's given us a, a job to do. And that job is ambassador. It's, that job is, uh, is Christian. It is to, to model Jesus Christ in our life. And that's exactly what Paul did. You know, when Paul came to know Jesus Christ in Acts, when he, when he met Jesus Christ and God called him, he says, I'm going to show him what great things he must, what? Suffer for my name's sake. Jesus Christ called him to a life of suffering. He may not call us all to a life of suffering, but it's not necessarily an easy task. Why? Because there's a world around us that doesn't necessarily appreciate being a child of God. They don't necessarily appreciate being called Christian. But Jesus said, marvel not. He says, if they hate you, remember, they hated me first. So there is an idea here that it's not going to be an easy task, but it is one that God has called us to, He called uh, Paul to. So he was not only a servant, he was not only an apostle, but he was a preacher of Jesus Christ, set apart, concentrated by God. But not only who is Paul, but the second question is, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel's origin is in the Greek word evangelion. And the word is used four times more in Pauline epistles than anywhere else in the New Testament. In fact, in the Pauline epistles, the word evangelion is used some 60-some times. So you think if he uses it so often, there's probably a great deal of what? importance to it and that the gospel getting out was of great importance to Paul so the gospel's description is, is the gospel of God it's the good news of God not only is it the good news it's the best news I don't know about you but we need good news and we need the good news to go out think about this over and over we see that there is a world around us that is pushing a news a narrative a story it's from their perspective. It's from a worldly perspective, from a cultural perspective, but it's not from a Bible perspective. And they all about you, but that news is discouraging. It's frustrating. It causes anxiousness and, and despair. We have hope, right? We have the hope of God, and it's found in the good news of the gospel. The good news changes everything. Not because it's just good news, it's the best news. And I was thinking about this this week. What is the power of the gospel? Uh, we're going to talk about that next here. But the gospel description is that it's, it's, it's powerful. Um, it was not only a powerful in a sense, but if you look at the Greek word, it's the word dunamis, or the word from which we get dynamic or dynamite, right? It's dynamite. Because think about this. The good news of the gospel changes everything. Everything. Think about it from the perspective of, first of all, someone who's an alcoholic. The good news of the gospel can give that man sobriety that he's never had. Or at least has not had been able to attain on his own. It can take a person who's been a drug addict and set him free. It can take a person who has no hope and give him a future. It can take a person who's down in despair and give him peace and encouragement and comfort. What else can do that other than the gospel, the good news, the best news? God's power in us to change everything. So it's not only a powerful news of good news the best news it's also prophetic news and we find this that it was prophesied of abraham that this day would come and over and over in in, in, in uh, uh, romans chapter 3 verse 21 and romans chapter 4 verse 1 born of the seed of david according to the flesh declared to be the son of god with power this message that was prophesied it's coming the gospel concerning god's son and here's the powerful thing about it god is not only the originator of it He's the final word concerning it. He's the finisher of it. He's both the originator and the finality behind the good news. So, who is Paul? What is the gospel? 
And how does Paul greet the church at Rome? We find this in verse 6 and 7. He says, Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you're called of Jesus Christ, called to be saints. That's an interesting terminology here, because the word saint means what? Believer. You're called to be believers. And if we're called to be believers, we need to act like it. And so uh, Paul greets them as Romans. Paul addresses church of Rome as Gentiles, divinely called, beloved of God, and saints. And Paul greets them in a form of a prayer, which doesn't necessarily always come out in the text, but in the language, it's almost in the form of prayer because he was praying for them. He wanted them to understand who he was and what they were doing. Second question point is, what is Paul's interest in the church of Rome? And we see this in the following verses, verses 8 and following. Paul, first of all, shares his appreciation for the church of Rome. I love what he says here, verse 8. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Think about that just for a moment. Paul shared his appreciation for the church of Rome. Why? Two things. Because of their uh, reputation for Jesus Christ. Now the world there can mean several different things in the Greek language. But what it means in this context is the region in which they were uh, living. He says, among this region, among these people, your reputation precedes you. That your faith is spoken of. Now think about that just for a moment. I've asked this question many times over the years. If our church were to close its doors, would anybody miss us? And let me just say this. Not because of what we may be doing for them, and referring to the people around our church, around our community, as much as the relationship that we have with them. What is our relationship in the community in which we live? Would anybody miss us if we were to close our doors? Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can be so inwardly focused that we have no impact in the world around us and that we live in. We ought to be a lighthouse. We ought to be a beacon of hope for a world that is lost and dying and going to hell. There ought to be something about us that stands out. And that's why we ought to be investing in relationships. Now, we've talked about this term investment for you know, numerous times over the years. The word investment means that there is what? A long-term giving. In other words, when someone puts money into an investment, in other words, maybe it's for the retirement, maybe it's for an opportunity to you know, make, make a, a little bit more off what they've invested, you know that when you put that $100 in this month, it's not going to turn into $200 next month. If that were the case, we'd all be putting everything we could in there, and it's like, boom, instant immediate gratification and double our, double our income. It doesn't work that way. Many of you have learned to invest over a period of long time, right? It's year after year after year after year in the hopes of, and it doesn't always work out this way, but in the hopes of that, that money that you have put in will what? Multiply to some extent. Investing in relationships is the same way. We invest not because of something we can get out of it, but what we can do to encourage them to know Jesus. We invite them to, we, we invest in relationships so that we can invite them to the most important relationship with Jesus Christ, right? That takes time. And we have a community all around us that we need to be investing in. Not necessarily what we can do for them, as much as we are investing in a relationship with them. And let me just say, it's not always easy. I remember our first year and a half here, I thought to myself, good Lord, what have I done? Why am I here in New York? Kid you not, David is outside shooting pop cans that were empty. 
And I'm telling you, there's a little Red Rider BB gun, Daisy Red Rider BB gun. You can almost watch the BBs go out the end of the barrel. That, I mean, that's how little power they have. I think, I think uh, Caleb was even with them. Next thing you know, you got four squad cars and eight police officers out there over a BB gun that has no power shooting pop cans. Thank you, neighbors. Not always easy. You know, years ago, I have heard the stories of how they griped and complained to, you know, when we put in a soccer field. Oh, we can't have a soccer field there. You're messing up our woods and this and that and the other thing. And then several years later, AT&T wants to put a tower on our side of our field over there. Oh, you can't put a soccer field there. We won't be able to watch the kids play. You mean on the field you didn't want? It's crazy. That's the world we live in. Because the world looks at life revolves around me and what I want. Rather than what God and what He wants. And as we do that, the reality is, sometimes the world doesn't appreciate us. Sometimes the world doesn't understand us. But we have something they need. And it's the hope of Jesus Christ. And the only way they know that is to build relationships with them. Go out of our way to talk when it's not convenient. If I see our neighbors out there, I, I usually make it a point to at least say, Hi, how you doing? What's going on? Anything exciting going on? Talk to them about the weather. I try to make it a point. I'm trying to build a relationship with the people on both sides of us. I try to build relationships. Why? So we can invite them to the most important relationship. Paul, first of all, his interest in the Church of Rome, he says, Your reputation of the Church of Rome was known and felt. Let me ask you a question. What do you think our church would be known for? I hear from time to time, but here's what pastors think. Let me just tell you from a pastoral perspective. When I have a friend come into the church and they say, Oh, your church is so this and so that. Let's be honest. The first thing that comes to my mind is, Well, are they saying that because I'm the pastor, I'm their friend? Or are they really saying because it it's true? I mean, let's be honest. Because we all have a reputation. We all have an opinion of what that church is like. Are they just being cordial? Are they just being nice? Are they just trying to, you know, encourage you even though it's not really the truth? Or is it for real? But I love it when the encouragement comes through someone else who someone else told them. And what I hear often about our church is, man, your church is a friendly church. Your church is very kind. And I appreciate that. That's a reputation that we have. And uh, your church loves one another. I see people hugging everywhere. It shows that there's love here. There's a unity here. I hear my friends who say, man, we had a four and a half, five hour business meeting. I'm like, well, you've never had one of those. I don't know. Maybe you did before I came, but I've never seen a four hour business meeting. I hear CZ head shaking. I, I hope to God we never have those. But the reality is, there is a peace and a unity. It may not be perfect, but it's, I have 10 pastor friends who would love to switch chairs with me any day of the week. But I'm thankful for what God has done here. But we're not finished. We still have some work to do. Amen? Still have some things to do. But Paul said, I appreciate your reputation that is spoken of to the known world. And then he says, I thank my God for you guys. He goes, I thank God for you guys. He shares his heartfelt thanks for them. And I do that. I thank God for the church that I get to, that I get to be a part of and steward. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's our church. It's God's church. We work together to do what God has called us to do. It's not Ken's church. It's not your church. It's his church. Right? 
But we get to work together to do what God's called us to do. So Paul shares his appreciation for the church of Rome in verse 8. Then secondly, in verses 9 through 13, Paul shares his long-term desire to visit the church at Rome. Look at verse 9. He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve him with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests, if by some means now at least I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I may have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. He says, I long to come to you. I pray that I can come to see you. Paul prayed for them constantly, that he could come to them. But he is waiting for God's timing and God's will in the process. I don't know about you, but there are several churches I want to go see. I want to see some churches in Nepal. I want to see some churches across Africa. I want to see some churches in India yet. And I'm praying but the, but that the will of God might come, that we might do it in His timing. I don't want to do it apart from His timing. I want to do it in God's timing. Because when God works, much more is accomplished. I've seen people go, I just want to go see it. I want to go see it. Why would you spend thousands of dollars to go around the world just to go see it? I want to see what God is doing. I want to know what God is doing. And I want to go when God wants me to go so that God can accomplish His will through me. But he says, I've longed to come and now it's going to happen. Isn't that exciting? He prayed for them over and over. But He not just prayed that He might come and didn't just pray for their well-being. He prayed for a mutual spiritual encouragement. You know, it's an amazing thing that I, I just had some friends that went to Africa. They went to uh, Kenya. And I said, let me guess. When you met up with those people, it's like you've known them for 30 years and you've never met them before. And he goes, yes. Isn't that amazing? You can meet somebody that you've never known before. You've never talked to them before. You've never corresponded with them before in your life. And all of a sudden you meet them. It's like you've talked and you've, it's like you've known them for 25 years. That's the gospel. That's when you go to them and he goes, you're going to encourage them. But guess what? You were encouraged when you tried to encourage them. They encouraged you. When I went to India, man, I was encouraged. If I've been to Africa, I was encouraged. I went to try to encourage them, but they ended up encouraging me. And that's what he's saying here. He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit of the gospel, that without ceasing I make mention of you, making a request, if by some means not least, I may find a way in the will of God to come. For I long to see you, that I may impart some in spiritual gifts, so that we may be established, that we may be encouraged together. He said, I want us to be encouraged because of this relationship. And then, number two, he wanted to see spiritual fruit among them. He wanted to see a spiritual harvest of sorts. Paul said, I didn't want to go. I, I made the mistake the first time I went to India. I made this mistake. I said, well, if I go all the way to India, I don't want to just pass out tracks. I'll do that here. Man, was that a mistake to make. He had me preaching four times a day for three weeks in a row. Killed me. About killed me. I remember I got home. I arrived in Chicago on a Saturday. I think I slept for three days straight. They about whooped me. They said, oh, you don't want to just pass out tracks? No problem. We can fix that. Man, it was, it, was, it, was, it was exhausting. But there's fruit. We want to go see fruit. Shouldn't our church be seeing fruit? Right. So... In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, I gave some pastors, teachers, evangelists, bishops, so forth, so on, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, created unto good works, 
faith without works is dead. We, we know all these verses. We have them memorized inside and out. We know them inside and out. God says, hey, if you're my child and you know me and you have a relationship with me, you should be working. But why is it that we don't see fruit? Well, we can't redefine what fruit is. We know what he's talking about. We know what fruit is. And if the teaching going on is showing us how to do it, then we should be doing it. And I found out the common denominator in a church that's not seeing fruit usually comes back to one circumstance. The individual who is supposed to be spreading the seed or watering the seed. God never called us to control the outcome, right? Amen? I wish I could look at someone and say, hey, you're going to get saved today. Boom. Say, this, say these words and you too can be prayed. You know, saved. No, it doesn't work that way. But in order for the salvation decision to come, we have to be planting the seed. And let's, let's be honest with ourselves. Seriously honest this morning. Paul said, I want to have a spiritual fruit among you. I want to see a harvest. When's the last time we shared our faith? Let's just be honest. When's the last time we opened our mouth and said, I want to see God do something. I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to do something. I'm going to plant some seed. I'm going to open my mouth. Oh, somebody already shared that with you? I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to water it some. When's the last time we've done that? It doesn't have to be always a preaching session. Folks, it can be a conversation. Just a, a moment. Hey, we had an opportunity. Don and I went out to eat and we, we had an opportunity. We were sitting there praying. The lady came out. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, interrupting our prayer. No, no, I want people to see that I know Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of that. I want people to know I know Jesus. But it requires us to have actions that validate that. And we say, well, you know, what is our church known for? We can also... He said what we're not known for. Let's be a church that's known because we're planting spiritual seed and seeing God do something in our midst. He wanted to see. He was hoping for a spiritual harvest of sorts. And number three, Paul shared his sense of obligation to help this church in verses 14 and 15. He says this, I am debtor both to the go back to I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Think about that just for a moment. He says, I am debtor. Keep your finger there, but turn over to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, just for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to read verse 16 through 19. He says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have reward. But if I against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge? That I may abuse my authority in the gospel? Remember, we said that being an apostle came with a divine authority. And he says, I'm not going to abuse my authority. I'm not going to beat it over your head. I'm not going to force you to do something. But he said, I don't want to abuse the authority that has been entrusted to me. But he goes on and says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Ask ourselves this question. Who have I made myself a servant to that I may win them to Christ? Every one of us has a neighbor, 
a co-worker, a friend, a relative that does not know Jesus Christ. Right? Anybody not have one of those that doesn't know Jesus? We all do. But if we're going to plant some seed and see a spiritual harvest, that means we have to open our mouth. We have to start doing some cultivation. We have to start doing some investment. He goes on, verse 20, says, And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now I do this for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. He says, I am indebted to my Jesus. And as a debtor, he goes, I got a job to do. Question. I ask questions a lot. Application of this. We're not Paul, but who you are, are you being who you are for Christ? Are you willing to do what it takes to see people come to know him? That's a huge question to answer. Am I willing to do what it takes to see people come to know Jesus? Paul's obligation was, he said, to the Greeks and to the barbarians. Kind of a nice way of saying the cultured and the uncultured. Those who were of social status and those who weren't. He went to the, those who were college profs as well as those who were hillbillies. That's what it means. Cultured and uncultured, Greeks and barbarians. Saved, you know, those, those who, were, who had a social status and those who didn't. And then he says, to the wise and to the unwise, the educated and the uneducated. You know, I've said for years, if we had a five acre plot right next door to our church and there was another church that we wanted to build on that plot and preach the gospel, I would help them build it. I really would. There is no competition in my bones. When it comes to getting the gospel out. Why? Because they're going to reach people that I ain't going to reach. You're going to reach people that I can't reach. Use however God made you. And whatever gifts he's given you. Whatever abilities and traits that he's given you. To reach those around you. You have a sphere of influence that I don't have. I have one that you don't have. But whatever sphere of influence God's given you. Are you using it? That we may see some people come to know Christ. Paul says, I, have, I feel this obligation to go and preach the gospel. So I'm debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. Question When is Christ going to come? Soon, we hope. Nobody told me a date. Because we don't know, right? Here's not when, when are we going to die? Soon, probably. But none of us knows, right? We don't know when Christ is going to come. We don't know when we're going to die. So when should we begin telling other people about Jesus? Always. Soon, always, <laughs> always. Opportunities that we have. Take the moments. Take the opportunities. The situations that you have somebody come into your house, you're, you're a dinner with somebody, a breakfast with somebody. Are you using that for the Lord?
There was a sense of urgency, and I don't think we have the sense of urgency that Paul had. Why do I say that? Verse 15. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. He says, I'm ready. Question. So I like asking questions. Are you ready? Because God's word says to be able to give an answer of the hope that lies within you. Are you ready? Another question. If you're not ready, why aren't you ready? What's hindering you from being ready? Every ex- example I see of the gospel going out in scriptures, I, I, I've, not, I, I've still yet to find one Bible college mentioned in the Bible. I haven't found one seminary mentioned by name in the Bible. Not one. I didn't find Jerusalem Baptist Bible College. I didn't find uh, Galilee Theological Seminary. I didn't see... Uh, it's not in there. You know what I see? People sharing with others what God has done for them. No greater example than the woman at the well. No greater example. She simply went out and told others what happened to her. And the Bible says many believed because of this account. You don't know the outcome of what sharing what God has done for you might do for someone else. Paul says, I am ready. And he went out and preached the gospel. Number three. What is Paul's theme in writing the book of the Romans? We see this in verses 16 and 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation of everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul is not ashamed of this gospel. Paul's not ashamed. He wasn't afraid to open his mouth. In fact, he already knew he was going to go through some struggles. Paul, God said and on the road to Damascus, I'm going to show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. He knew he was going to go through it. Maybe he know all the details. Maybe he didn't know he was going to get shipwrecked or stoned or left for dead. But he knew he was going to be a struggle. And you have to know that when you stand up for truth, and when you stand up for Jesus Christ, not everyone's going to appreciate it. And guess what? It's okay. It's okay. We have God behind us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So this gospel is the power of God into salvation. It's dunamis. It's the dynamo. It's the dynamic message. It's the powerful message. Think about that. He says it's dynamite. It's powerful. It can change an alcoholic and a drug addict bring sobriety. can bring someone who is in pain, peace. Someone in despair, give them hope. Because the power of Jesus Christ is so powerful. And he says, this salvation is to everyone who believes. Not just the rich. Not to the poor. Not to the wise. Not to just the unwise. Not to the social elites. Nor to those impoverished. It's just to those who believe. Woman at the well says, you went out, it says, many believed. There'll be some that don't. But there'll be some that will. Because of the power of the gospel. And then thirdly, not only was he not ashamed, not only was it powerful, but the gospel is the revealed righteousness of God. 
says in verse 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. I want to look at two verses. First one is Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. He says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. This salvation gives us a righteousness of God. And let me just say this. The revealed righteousness of God is actually literally translated a God kind of righteousness. A God kind of righteousness. Now think about this just for a moment. Not a righteousness that man produces, but a God kind of relationship is literally how this should be translated. Now I'll put that back into the text of what we just read. Verse 9. And be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law. What was the law? The law is rules, regulations, guidelines. You have to follow this. You have to fit the parameters. You have to do everything within this box. These are the things. If you just wear the right clothes, if you'll have the right haircut, if you don't do this, if you absolutely do that, then you can be righteous. And then you can be one of us and you can truly be a Christian, so to speak. He says those are all laws. Those are all rules, regulations, man-made that will produce a man-made righteousness. Here's what he says. That I am be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. When I put my faith in him, he said, I'll make you righteous. Not based on what you can do, but what I've done. This is a God kind of righteousness. And that's what true salvation produces. Not somebody who is good at following rules. Not somebody who abides by all the guidelines, but somebody who says, I want to be like God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. It says verse 20, 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I can't be righteous in and of myself. In fact, God's word makes it very clear throughout Romans. Not by, or Titus, not by works of righteousness which I have done, but according to his mercy saves us. Righteousness comes from God as we submit to him. Paul concluded that the just shall live by faith in verse 17. It was an Old Testament verse found in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, that said the righteous shall live by faith. It takes faith in all these circumstances. Who is Paul? He's a servant. He's a slave. Slave doesn't get to determine his own outcome. He doesn't get to choose his own path. He does whatever his master tells him. It takes faith. And by the way, Paul said, I submit myself as a slave Throughout his Pauline epistles, he says, I make myself a slave. I am a slave, but I voluntarily become a slave. That would take faith to say, I am willing to trust you no matter what. I don't get to choose my own outcome. I don't get to choose my own path. I willingly submit it to the Lord. 
That's being a slave. That takes faith. To be an apostle, to give divine, to be given divine authority to go and do whatever God tells them to do. God, I, I'm not really sure what this entails. No, but you're going to go through some hard times, buddy. Trust me. That takes faith. Because it's not going to be a bed of roses. To preach the gospel in a world that doesn't want to hear it, that's going to take faith. He says the just shall live by faith. Because it takes faith to do all these things. To present the gospel and to do the things that God called to do. It was going to take faith to do that. But included, if you're truly a child of God, if you've been justified, if you know Him and have a relationship with Him, you got to live by faith. That's a challenge. And that's why he includes this introduction with the just shall live by faith. So question, because we like to ask questions to make the application and make it practical to where you and I live. Are we living by faith? I found in my life that there's so many things I don't need faith for. Because I, I can do it. Either because of my talents or my skills, my abilities, my experiences. Fill in the blank. You have them too. We tend to do things without exercising faith because we can then every once in a while God just gently reminds us hey you need me more than you think you do just to prove it I'm going to give you this circumstance I'm going to give you this test how are you going to respond are we living by faith question is daily we're going to live for the live in the flesh we're going to live by faith. It's easy to live in the flesh. That's super easy. Doesn't take any special work. Doesn't take any special effort. It's just so easy. Just be selfish. You got, got nailed. But to live by faith? Submitting to the Holy Spirit in every aspect of life? That's a different subject. So the question is, living in the flesh or living in, by faith? The just live by faith. I don't know about you, but that's a challenge. That's what I want to take away today. In all these areas, live by faith. And this is the message he's going to go forth with to the church at Rome. Live by faith. And he's going to go spread the gospel. And he's going to talk to them about the law versus the law of faith in, in Jesus. But to live by faith. Lord, as we come before you this morning, we have to honest, be honest with ourselves, Lord, and admit that there's so many things, Lord, that we don't do according to faith, but rather in the flesh. Well, God, forgive us. Forgive me, Lord. It's so easy to just wake up, do our thing, and to not ask you for help. To not trust you with the outcome. To make decisions based on our flesh rather than faith in you, Lord. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me as a as a person, as a pastor, as a husband, as a wife, I mean, a, a husband a, a, in a relationship, in, in, as a father, I, I pray, God, that you'd help me to live by faith in all these areas. But, Lord, as a church, I pray that you help us as a church to live by faith. Lord, that we would be, have spiritual fruit among us. Lord, that our reputation would be known in this region as a church that cares and has relationships with the people around it. Lord, this takes faith to do these things. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be in the flesh. God, would you speak to our hearts? As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just a simple opportunity as we do each and every week. 
to respond to God's word. Mr. Pastor, this morning, if I'm honest with myself, I, uh, a lot of these things apply to me. I haven't been living by faith. I haven't been operating in the flesh. God's challenged my heart this morning. Would you pray for me? Anyone else like that? Yes. All around. We need to live according to faith. Faith to be the person that God's called us to be. Faith to do the things that God's called us to do. Faith to see spiritual fruit. Faith to have a reputation as a church that cares for people. I pray that God does not let us live in the, and work and operate in the flesh. That we would be a church that lives by faith because we are just. We are children of God. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. God's challenged my heart. I need to live by faith in all these areas. Anyone else? Yes, in the back side. Can I just challenge all of you just for a moment? Pray. To him that knows to do right doesn't do it, to him it's sin. God's word says James. So confess it as sin. Ask God's forgiveness. And then recommit. Recommit. Commit afresh and anew. Lord, help me to live by faith this week. God, help me to exercise faith and obedience this week. Lord God, I pray that you be with each and every person who raised their hand their heart towards you this morning. Lord, might we see victory. Lord, might our church be like that church of Rome where Paul says, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Lord, this region, I pray that people might know us because of our walk with you because our walk with you is real help us to live by faith be of each one who raised their hand and their heart towards you this morning lord to be careful lord in all of our dealings lord to, to live by faith and that we might exercise that daily lord and we'll thank you for it we praise you for it for your word for it's in jesus name we pray amen